0: It's Chris Erb, and welcome to the TripleClicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. A good friend I first met at Legendary Pictures, Ethan Stern, who now runs the immersive division for Madison Wells Media, came through the TripleClicks office, so I took the opportunity to sit down and talk some VR with him. Ethan is one of the most seasoned and recognized producers in the VR space. He launched the VR division at Legendary with Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim Experience and produced the only VR content to ever be recognized with an Academy Award. Alejandro Aratu's Carne Arena. We talked about his deep VR experience, MWM's upcoming VR project Gnomes and Goblins with John Favreau, his thoughts on the future of the VR space, and why he always makes me try and eat at restaurants without health ratings. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, you ready? Sure. Wait, okay, now I'm ready. I'm all right about him. I'm good. All right, Ethan Stern, executive producer for Madison Wells Media, innovative. Wait, hold on. What a innovative virtual reality and augmented reality division. All right, was that the intro? Uh, I think we we'll <laughs> probably start over. I don't know how to intro you because uh, just tell me got, the prop. I'm the prop we, guy. We've got some um, physical production. All
1: right, you don't have to say innovative.
0: No, now I'm reading your fucking, like, long-ass bio. And whose jacket was that, that you were wearing? That that's is, my jacket. That's not your Yeah, have Banana Republic, man. It's got no, fat. There's no jacket. Ethan Stern, executive producer for Madison Wells Media. Thanks for coming all the way out to uh, to the area to do the podcast. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm always happy to come out and see you. It's excited to have you here. Ethan and I have, uh, we work together at Legendary. Uh, You managed at the time, I think you, your career evolved there. Physical production. We did a lot of the film stuff before that. You were at dreamworks. That's right. And then evolved into VR and immersive media. And so we'll talk a lot about VR and a lot of, uh, did some research. Got a lot of questions for you. I'm excited to hear you talk about it. Let's talk about movies before we get into that. Sure. Uh, You were at DreamWorks for a while. What did you work on at DreamWorks? And uh, what was your favorite project?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was was at DreamWorks during a really interesting time where we kind of had just separated from Paramount. And uh, the company needed to sort of like build out all of its infrastructure to build movies on its own again. Um And I um, was there for like, there were like seven movies that we did that all kind of started at the same time, which was, that never happens. We had f- like four movies green light and start physical uh, production in one month, which was nuts. So, and those included uh, Lincoln, Warhorse, The Help. Um, and then, an, and then a number of other ones that that people didn't see, like so Real we're not Steel. In the help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Real Steel and um, uh, Fright Night. I, you know, I think Fright Night is probably one that I like a lot, and I think people didn't give the appropriate. Um, credit I think we our marketing group really pushed it as like a slasher film and it was David Tennant was in it it was really funny um there was a lot of cool um like special effects design and stuff like that so it was it was a cool movie and and it had a lot of great humor to it. it it was a callback to that old 80s slasher comedy type movies and I don't know we just did a poor job marketing it
0: And so people understand your role there was literally the physical product. Talk, talk talk a little bit about what you did Talk about the Lincoln stuff. I saw a lot of the stuff you did with Lincoln. So,
1: you know, a lot of it's operation design and it's super boring in the, in the, in the background. It's not, I'm not, wasn't out on set. I'm not on set. Um, but I'm more, uh, helping to design the, uh, pipeline for both how we like hire people, but also how, um, once they they shoot on camera and they turn over the hard drives because it's not film anymore. Like they turn over the hard drives, how does that flow back into the machine that we that we use to make that movie and then eventually into distribution and marketing and all those different things? And you kind of take for granted at certain companies how. Um, this shit all just works. You could just, you know, sure. I, tr- I hand my thing to Joey, and then Joey hands it to Linda at the top, and then it gets made. Um, I had to sort of rebuild all of that for them. And then that'll be a similar story when we talk about Legendary, because I kind of got hired to go to Legendary to do that same thing.
0: Yeah, when you came over to Legendary, my fr- uh, so. My first film was, I think you guys had just wrapped 42. I ended up doing home video for 42, and then I think Pacific Rim and Godzilla and Warcraft is some of the stuff when I was there was in the core of that stuff. Yeah. You were, so talk about 42. What was the, like, what were you doing for Legendary on 42? Like, super
1: similar, you know? Like, 42 was an important film for us at Legendary because it was was the first one that we did all on our own. Prior to that, like, Legendary was was all about creatively producing and financing projects for Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers made all those movies. But, um, you know, we both know Thomas Tull, who we, who we both worked for and Thomas is a huge baseball nut and he wanted to do this story of Jackie Robinson and it was something that he wanted to do on his own. So, so 42 was the first movie that we, we did at legendary completely on our own. Greenlit produced. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's like, what does that mean to do it on our own? But like, we we hired everybody who, who everything and managed. To, yeah, I mean, everything besides taking the actual film reels to movie theaters. We kind of manage that whole process. So,
0: so what that means is we physically produce, hire, manage, shoot. Edit the whole thing, and then we have a partner that'll come in, help co fund, take some of the risk off of it, and then manage distribution and marketing. Is correct? Is, is is the way that tends to work on some of those? And then yeah, the, there'll be a bigger deal. Well, you'll negotiate different different cuts and different things like that, which is the kind of the the business side of it. I think we were unique too with like marketing because we were building
1: up. Uh, like you had come in to help us both with branding on our own, but also, and uh, you know how. Does our branding and our sense of um, how does our brand associate with IP we work with to the consumer, which I've always thought Legendary stood apart in. Like, I think we did a good job being a brand in the
0: film industry where I think most consumers don't care where content's coming from. Um, that was my bit. Yeah, that was my, it was interesting because you guys were getting credit before I got there. You guys got a ton of credit for things you didn't produce from the funding side, but I think which was, which was an interesting take. And then when you start producing the stuff, how do you build that out? I think the biggest flaw that I saw outside of the film industry is that you're exactly right. There isn't film brands. So if you're doing Pacific Rim and then Godzilla, you, it, currently the way they build it out is you build this audience, you build this space for Godzilla and then Godzilla launches and then you throw that all away right. and you start over for Pacific Rim as opposed to a legendary same audience are going to like all these films. And so how do you migrate that audience from like, you like Pacific Rim and now Godzilla is coming and you just kind of do that migration path of like every other industry, like, Hey, here's the new album or here's the new show. Um, whereas Warner brothers and, and Disney and you know Disney's got it, nailed with Marvel should be the model of those kind of films that kind of not just the in-world, in-game, in-movie in kind of connections, but from a marketing perspective, there should be that flow which I always, that's thats why I went to Legendary was to, to that vision of having that singular audience and selling them new films as opposed to reinventing that every time.
1: But I also think like, I think it, it, we also represented a sense of quality or, or understanding of fandom in a way that like, I th- feel was built on the back of the Batman series, even though, like you said, they weren't projects that we made. We creatively produced them with, you know, with Warner brothers. But I think the output of that was here is a company who understands film can make great films, but also understands the fan IP in a way that gave credit to those. And I think like Pacific Rim and Godzilla and all those sort of continue that that idea, and I think you know, forty two was a weird outlier, and that wasn't like a super fanboy movie. But people are fanboys about baseball, and I think that yeah, I Thomas think was, brought the same concept to that.
0: Yeah, and I think Thomas gets all the credit for keeping the authenticity and the fandom, as you said, to those titles. And make you know, if you're going to have these kind of movies, they have to be authentic to that audience, and people would buy into Thomas, which they should because he's a was a great guy, and he loved baseball, and so you'll come with us on this journey or, or not. Yeah, man.
1: You? I mean, we always it was funny how we like. It was all about heroes, and and he was a superhero. We were all doing superheroes, and totally. was like he was a superhero. So, anyways, those it, are those it were did fun fit times.
0: into it. And he has the world's largest collection of baseball memorabilia, and he was a hardcore fan. Mm-hmm. Guitars as well, yeah. Like he did the guitar film. He, he what, had an original.
1: For, I remember he had. A, he showed me an original
0: uh, Jackie Robinson jersey. Like blew me away. I, I thought he had. I thought he had all of them. Like I think he's got some oh. at the Hall of the Fame. Like I think <laughs> he has possible. all of the existing Jackie Robinson jerseys he owns and some. Like he's got a he's got a large inhale hate that we're talking about this he's got a large collection of those actually at the hall of fame which is uh, a lot of the installations at the hall of fame is his stuff which yeah he he
1: loves he loves that stuff and i think legendary was also a time though where i was there for long enough where initially um, we were doing operational design to help how does legendary make a movie how do we make it better with a smaller team and that started to lead more into technology evolutions for how do we use better technologies in the process of making films to
0: streamline build efficiencies and marketing the marketing stuff too i mean we brought in all of obama's team to help kind of how are we going to kind of take the marketing dollars and kind of Mm -hmm. sub-target that stuff on facebook and those kind of things which was super advanced and and no one else in the space was thinking about that so i always appreciated that my landing at Legendary, coming from 15 years in games and coming to the movie spot, was super safe, thanks to you. I think my office was <laughs> next to yours. That's true. And the first day, you walk in and you'd be like, fuck, a video game guy. I love video games. And you, you made it feel super comfortable. So I always appreciated that until you tried to take me to lunch and my first day yeah, of work. Gonna bring this story y- yeah, I'm going to bring this <laughs> up. My first day of work, you're like, "Let's go to lunch." I'm like, "Cool." Like, "Where do you guys eat around here?" And you're like, "I know this homeless dude under a bridge That's that has a barbecue that makes fucking great chicken." And I'm like, you're serious, and you tried to take me to some homeless guy under a bridge making chicken. Is well, that not true? Like, where, where am I deviating? Because I did ask if he blending, had a
1: rating. You're blending conversations, and I don't think that was the first I place I tried true. to take you. I do remember hearing that there was a new marketing guy coming in, and I was like, oh, cool. cool. Like, what's up with him? And he's like, oh, he, he worked at EA. And I got, like, super excited that there's, like, someone
0: who... You know, was deep at EA. Who was you were the come only in. person in the movie industry that's actually played a video game too. So that was kind that's of cool. That's not that. true. There was
1: that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Um the i just wanted to show you like you know traditional la street food that's the, some of the best food we have in la uh, but be- you wanted to move to calabasas and have cheesecake factory
0: so. No, i wanted gareth edwards to go get those fries and pour chili on top and eat <laughs> those <laughs> all day with him because that was always the best so i left legendary and you pivoted from that role to essentially the head of virtual reality you built out um, the Guillermo, you worked with Guillermo del Toro on the Pacific Rim experience. Yeah. Um, and then you actually, uh, were part of a team that won an Oscar. The I will. First ever Oscar for virtual reality. And only. And only. Uh, Alejandro, uh, two? yeah I can say his last name I'm more worried about trying to say the name of the VR piece that you oh, did oh Carne Irina Carne Irina with Aratu he came off of two Oscars for films and pivots yeah. to a VR experience talk about working with him on that project because uh, I know you put your blood sweat and tears in that yeah, for man. years that thing and you came and saw it while it was in the warehouse I did I saw some early tests of that thing. Like just to explain to people a guy wins two Oscars and says I'm doing VR pivots to that you spent years on this thing that was built and shot went to can huge credit at can and then it eventually gets installed of course at prada (laughs) store in milan and lacma and goes on to win an oscar what was the experience like that was my first true to like vr's vr but like to to go through an experience that you you know you took me through what you were working on and on those things that was another level yeah What, what how did it come to
1: to be so um, it was it was really serendipitous, I think, for me, because I had pivoted out of doing operational stuff and was fully focused on doing, VR um, at legendary, but a lot of that ended up being marketing focused and brand focused stuff for us because it wasn't really a marketplace so that was the del Toro project was more of a marketing piece for, for for Pacific Rim but it was still great and great experience but I really wanted to sink my teeth into doing something like real and built for the medium. Um, and when some uh, new executive teams had come into Legendary, they brought in a relationship with with Inritu. And I remember at the time there was some there was some um, you know shifting of, of employees around the company. People were a little bit worried, and I I was the head of this barely existing division of the company called VR, sitting at the big table with everyone else from the company. everyone scared hearing from the new uh, head of the of of, of the studio. And the first thing she said was, uh, it's Ethan Stearns here. Uh, I, I need to talk to him because I have a VR project we want to do. And everyone, of course, everyone in the room was like, oh, yeah, we we love Ethan. He's he's the best. We love VR. And <laughs> <So laughs> everyone wanted to jump on board. So, you know, Mary Perrin had brought that project in with Enri with 2 to Legendary. And he had some ideas during the filming of uh, or during the making of Revenant. he They did that bear sequence at uh, Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, up in San Francisco. And ILM and I had actually been working together on some other projects and they had a really amazing lab where they were experimenting and exploring uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, all kinds of stuff. And they showed him some stuff. And I think that they kind of may have lied a bit or he misheard because <laughs> I think that... Future well, tech. Yeah, they were like, see this with the bear? Imagine that in VR. We can build exactly this experience in VR, which of course technically is very difficult, if not impossible, um, but I think that got his mind going on some on this project idea that he wanted to do to use VR to tell it to tell a deeper story about, about the immigrant um, process, especially the Mexican immigrant process of coming into the United States. This was prior
0: to the current uh, political. Um, Fits well leadership. It. Fits well into now, but it, so the experience is essentially you put on the headsets and you're essentially going through an experience of crossing the border.
1: You, you are. We would say that you're you're in the desert and you witness a moment in which a group crossing the desert is. Um, is met from border patrol, and then an event plays out. There's no good guys or bad guys. It's just a, it's just you're a moment a in of, time. You're and not you're a there. part of that. You're not, not you part of it. You don't there. play a role. You're not carrying a gun trying to shoot things. It's really just you having that sense of presence in that moment to better understand who those people are on both sides. And that was a really important thing to him. Was 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 uh, telling that story from both sides. So, anyways, like he he came in um, with this idea, and at first I had to convince him that we had that there was the capability of doing people, photorealistic people, and its it was interesting because the film industry doesn't really like the game industry very much, and or doesn't have much um, appreciation for the evolution of what's been happening in real-time rendering, and I showed him a lot of amazing game projects that he wasn't really into, and it was, I don't know if you're familiar with... Um, Ninja Theory's Hellblade. Mm-hmm. But they were doing early prototypes of, of what eventually turned into their VR version of that game. And I was showing I was friendly with them and I showed them I showed Enrichu some of that work and he like it was that, that sold him. Um and so we went down the process. It took probably like I spent like two years working on that project. And it started from him kind of not knowing a lot about about the industry and and, and also you know, he worked without limits in a lot of ways. And so the, the whole thing was sort of explain the physical
0: space. So,
1: yeah, I mean, originally what he wanted to do is he had seen some other VR experiences and other art installations where there were large amounts of space where you would, um, you could explore and he wanted to do that. So at first we had like an 80 foot by 70 foot area, which, it's Large hard to understand <laughs> huge, almost impossible for you for VR. We had to hack together a bunch of different stuff to make it work. Um, it eventually shrunk down to 50 foot by 50 foot, which is still ridiculous. Yeah. Um, is that and, I experienced. Yeah. And it was, um, and it's, it's like a sandbox of sorts. So basically we, we brought sand into the space
0: Literally, you took your shoes off, take yeah. your socks off, you're walking on sand so you can physically feel the, the experience that you're having.
1: Right, and, 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 and in the headset, you're in the desert, and so you, you can really feel that experience. We then sort of, because we were trying to figure out how are people going to come in and out, and we wanted, we wanted people to have a in, like an individual experience with the story and not have like them seeing people line, lining up, we ended up creating these different rooms that people would go to before they got into the VR space which evolved over time into the eventual installation, which was like you entered into like a detention room, like a cold overlit detention room that we actually like air conditioned down to like 50 degrees. It was cold and then had big red lights and sirens that like led you into the next room where you did VR and then, and then out through, um, through a decompression room where you got your shoes back on and then into a portrait hallway where, uh, Emmanuel Lubinsky, Chivo, the cinematographer, shot these like video port, incredible video portraits of all the people who were in the experience. Which is something to explain that actually all of the people who were in the experience, like uh, the digital characters in the experience, were all real people who had gone through that experience themselves, and so not actors. We brought them all through that process of being digitized and then um, rigged and modeled as digital doubles the same way you would digital double, um, you know, Hemsworth for Thor in a Marvel movie. Sure. Um, literally with the same companies. And, um and so at the end, there's a hallway where you're looking at all these different portraits that are, they're telling their own story, which was like heart-wrenching. So
0: he wanted to tell a full story through a VR experience, but it was more, I mean, that's why you have the hall. That's why you're telling a bigger story of it. And I think when you and I last talked about it, like where'd the fence and the sand come from? Like, did he bring that up? Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I mean, like physically the, so that was another part that I didn't mention is that we actually uh we're gathering pieces of the actual border fence at Arizona because through some process we had found a a group that was uh, removing it and rebuilding the, the border fence in Arizona. And we started collecting pieces of it and then we rebuilt it inside the exhibit as one of the walls of the VR volume. And then when you left and went down the portrait hallway, you could kind of peek through the cracks and see the other person behind you we didn't mention that it's more of a black void that you're in doing the VR experience. So you're kind of just seeing the shadow walk around. Sure, it was ex- exceptionally atmospheric and beautiful.
0: And yeah, it was just an amazing thing. And I wanted to, if, as we start to talk about VR and you know most of the companies that are doing VR now are not nowhere near kind of what i mean that's a very hollywood kind of vr thing that you install at a Prada store milan and you take the con and you show off and i mean it just yeah the work on that is spectacular obviously academy award winning so yeah
1: and then they yeah that's the other thing about the academy awards crazy is i mean that was and i you know that was all in ritu selling that in um we had to bring the whole board of governors through to see it, which was a whole ordeal. And, you know, they gave us a special Oscar, which they haven't given anything else before since, um, Toy Story was the last one to receive for the technology for for animation. I think it was actually. I, should, I, should it
0: was a gov- I think it was a governor's award, right? Which is a I think it's a special I, Oscar that's in, outside in November, of
1: right? Yeah, like, it's outside of the of the, yeah, of the amazing. season. So
0: it was so that's crazy. even more special than winning a regular Oscar. It's like they wanted to commemorate that kind of specifically. Yeah. yeah, and I
1: that's think awesome. um, you know it was at the time I had been studying everything that could be done with VR and was like ready to do the best stuff that could be done in vr and then i had someone come in and say i want to do more than that and that's (laughs) what we ended up having to build and i think since then i mean part of the problem with with that project is it's difficult for people to see it like right now no one can see it it doesn't it's not up anywhere and so people are trying to find ways to get it to more people but it's it's hard it's expensive to build something like that uh and it's not a real it's that that type of version of a VR installation is not a business. Yeah. Um so you know you know Miss Prada who was involved with the financing so is the Emerson Collective um uh Lorraine Powell Jobs is um Lorraine Powell Jobs' um, foundation, as well as a couple other groups, came in to help us fund it. And Legendary put a huge amount of investment into it. Yeah, it has to done. be.
0: That's not a business. To your point, like, correct. It has to be. It, it's an emotional statement that he wanted to share, and right. people when you when you get when you win two Oscars for great films, and then you get people to to kind of work, you know, there's do one for us, we'll do one for you, and that's definitely a, a personal project that he ran. So it was yeah, man, it was cool. Then you went to MWM, um, and for those that don't know MWM. Uh, amazing films drive hell or high water i think you have two films you guys are ratcheting it up 21 bridges with our own chadwick coming out yeah yeah and my spy with drax which is amazing i know right um you guys do film into tv you do film programs you do tv you do you're working on live shows with broadway but you're running immersion the immersive side of all of that business Tell me, you know, you've got three projects. I saw Chained, which was spectacular, kind of a new vision of Christmas carol through VR. You've got War Remains. Yeah, we um, just we just um, premiered that at Tribeca. So talk about that one, and then I want to get into the John Favreau project as well. Just to set, yeah, set, set the table what for they what are. You I were, mean, like yeah. they're
1: um, you know when I when I when I joined the company, uh, it was exciting to be building something new again, like this. No one knows who we are. We're putting ourselves on the map, and I think um, both, you know, uh, chained was chained was an attempt to to put us on the map in a in a vanguard sort of way that the way that Carne Arena did do something that no one, like very few other people are experimenting with this idea of having a live actor in a, in an interactive space with you. So explain it. So, so so yeah, it's, it's kind of a blend of immersive theater and VR. So you're actually walking into a physical four wall set that's dressed like Victorian London. And there's an actress in there and that actress is in costume and she's talking to you just like immersive theater. If you're familiar with something like sleep no more, or then she fell, stuff like that. Um, she eventually puts a VR headset onto you, and you are now in a digital version of that room, and you are... I don't want to spoil it, but eventually you enter another space, and there's a digital character there with you, and just like we're used to seeing in a video game, a digital character, that's not thats not that abnormal, mm-hmm. but what's crazy is that this digital character is actually being driven in motion capture and facial capture in real time, so... When you say something to him, he hears you. He's physically standing in front of you, and he can—he'll respond. He can take your hand. He can hand you objects. He can. So you're having this real experience with a digital character, and by telling the. Um, by telling the Christmas Carol story, we were able to use a single actor to perform all three ghosts, Well, four ghosts if you include Marley. Um, so yeah, that was a crazy project we were doing, yeah. and, it we, and we installed in L.A. You guys did it at uh,
0: uh, Two Bit Circus.
1: No, we did it on our own. We did it on our own. We, t- we talked to okay. 2-Bit for a bit. And, you know, 2-Bit does some awesome stuff. Yeah. And, um, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. It was, we did it on our own at a, at a space in L.A., and then we just did it in New York. We just closed it in New York. We were with uh, a group in New York. We did it. It was awesome. Um, and then War Remains is something that we're doing with Dan Carlin, who's a, a famous podcaster. He does a podcast called Hardcore History. Okay. He does this sort of thing,
0: podcasts. Mm-hmm. And have got an Academy Award director putting that stuff together i mean i the talent and the oh, yeah. of quality that you guys are putting together is crazy and then you're working on gnomes and goblins with john favreau right to, to explain that one what is that so
1: uh, gnomes and goblins is a um is a world and a set of characters that john created and wanted to build as a vr experience um and then he went to this, uh, the studio called Weaver and Weaver's famous for doing the, the blue, which is an encounter you have with a, with a whale. One of the more famous, um, VR experiences in, um, you know, in this generation of sort of tethered room scale VR experiences. Um, and so we've been working on that project for quite a while, almost, I think two years. And, Still still working away at it. Yeah. But it's I mean, it's it's an incredible opportunity to have a filmmaker who and, and, you know, he understands tech. He understands these different mediums. He's not so foreign to game design. Um, it's definitely not in his in his direct. Like He's never himself directed a game, but I think he brings a really interesting um perspective to how to tell a story using this medium which i but, I, but yeah I think, I think he's a, he's an amazing storyteller and like working in vr it, you know similar to Re too it's 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 inspiring to see somebody kind of challenge what you can
0: do with the medium yeah. and so especially cool. coming off jungle book and 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 lion king yeah i mean all the tech i mean it's unbelievable manglorian uh we'll see about that i'm excited like, I'm so excited for it that I I don't want to He s- built the whole thing in Unreal That whole thing is in Unreal Is it really? Yeah It's crazy All right. I'm going to come to
1: you to get an early view oh, I'm not going to get an early view Come like, on Get <laughs> me in the
0: room with him. I need to talk I want to see some early stuff So that's the, those are the projects you're working on so Tell me you know i want to talk about vr you and i have okay. joked about vr yeah. forever it's like, like a boat yeah it's it's like a boat you always want your friend to have one and you don't really want to ex- you want one yourself i just feel like vr is early so t- t- is vr immersive like when you say immersive entertainment how much of that is vr how much is it as other things like how do you look at you're you're running an immersive division what is it what does it immersive mean and in, in, is that vr or what does that mean um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think of it as a, as our interactive division. Um, it, you know, that title of, of of immersive is supposed to be a little bit more as broader than just what we think of as traditional games or interactive at certain studios. Um, it also speaks to how we think about interactive as um, more immersive, and bringing more visceral, bringing yourself into those experiences. Um, it also is like technically. A, a a, a catch-all word that is used a lot to describe sort of this type of entertainment and stuff.
0: Um, So is Fortnite immersive? Because you're not distracted? Yeah, I mean, so it's just a general word. Like, it's a, you know, there's different kind of forms of gaming now. So immersive can mean, like, to you say, it feels like a catch-all word. So what what are the things that you guys are focused on that that brings it you know, I think
1: if you think about the success of things like, um, like Arena, or things that we did with with Chained or I actually think is is kind of the cornerstone of any VR experience is presence. I think having a sense of presence is the most powerful thing that VR does and even the best games that are the most visceral games that we play or movies you know When we lose ourselves into those stories or into those games, that's when they become part of you in some way, part of part of us as a culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a challenge to get there, whereas VR does it really 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 well some of the other things like how do you tell a story how do you do what are the design mechanics that help us build a a game loop out of vr like there's a lot of things that have to be developed as a language of the medium but the basic strength of creating presence is is inherent to, to the medium. And because of that, I think, um, I think that that speaks again, back to immersion. I think it has to do with immersion. And I think as creating stuff in the space, like it, it's, it's about how, um, how to make the most and make sure that immersion and presence is paramount. And then everything else above that is sort of adding that and isn't breaking your sense of presence i think the other thing you know to to get more to marketing i think the harder parts about marketing vr content is when your strength is presence how do you give a consumer especially one who's consuming media media over twitter or in a movie theater how do you give even in a movie theater how do you give them that sense of presence if that's your selling point it's really hard it's really hard to describe that
0: yeah, I think marketing VR content or using VR as a marketing play, right? I mean, AR is so natural for brands to try and jump into now. Sure, um, but figuring out the ways that that VR is going to play into that. I mean, I think that's my biggest challenge is it's just not consumer ready yet. Like, I love Facebook. You know, buying an oculus and i think vr is the future of a lot of things but i always wondered why they put it on the back of gaming to solve that it feels like you know when i was working at madden we we used to put madden into headsets for the quarterbacks to learn and they could play madden through the headsets and it felt early and now you know i think that's where education can be and you can take classes wherever i'd like a sure. sports experience through you know I'd, I'd like to sit at a yankees game and and have the headsets on and watch a yankees game and be in the stadium. I, I think the gaming part just f- feels tough, especially with uh, I think the innovations are moving so fast. How tough is it to develop? That is you hit um, the you
1: hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I think that that is one of our biggest strengths and weaknesses. I mean, to go back to, Being a veteran in the space, someone who's like seen every inch of the space, I don't think watching a a movie, I don't think watching a baseball game in VR is that good. Someone once told me, and I think that it really stuck with me, is that I think watching baseball from from the seats is not, in a lot of ways, not as as entertaining as watching it from home i think we've made watching live sports we've gotten very good at translating live sports into tv in a way that is maintaining your attention and creating immersion to use the word again um if you could drop me f- courtside at a lakers game people have been doing that those companies are gone man yeah those were they not executing because I, I,
0: I want to still go through that like I want to be able to see that experience and see who that is because front row to concert I get why that could kind of work and not really working but if you could like, if I could be in the front row for Thursday night's game again with you know the Raptors you gotta, and I'm sitting next to Drake like that's a moment that you could build out I guess
1: so I mean, people have done that is what yeah. I'm saying and I think that that stuff doesn't hasn't worked and I think jump into their market here and here here's my 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 take on it I don't know if this is right but this is my, my my opinion on that. Is that when you get when it gets really good, if that got good enough that you really felt like you were there, then the thing that's holding you back is what we refer to as sixed off movement, being able to move in a Z axis, which you can't do when you're using video. You can't move into a video because it's not three dimensionally rendered. Yeah. Um. So the next thing you want to do is do that. Okay. Let's say we solve that. So now we're sixed off. We're in this thing. But everything is like we're not interacting with stuff. I, th- I guess what I'm getting at is, eventually, you're moving to interactive entertainment. Is is where the immersion draws you? Yeah. What what if that's game or not game? I don't know. The other thing I'll sort of, sort of, to argue with you a bit because we never got, we've never been able to argue no, about this. before. I agree. I, I agree always that, joke
0: about it, but like I agree that tech isn't good enough to deliver what I want. I, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I mean, obviously, if those companies are were here and they're gone, it's because the experience wasn't very good. So yeah. that's kind of the challenge. I think you know when you look at value, like what Valve's doing with Index or yeah. or some of those things. I mean, I think. You're going to have to tell me when, when the tech is ready for me because I feel like there's a difference between high quality versus affordability, right? Right, and I think that
1: gamers have have been, through history, first adopters of expensive tech. I mean, I bought a very expensive... PlayStation Three Blu-ray player, you know, and about I bought th- that same one. Yeah, I know. I have it. I still have it. I, I all have be it because I spent ports.
0: so much on it, and I don't want to throw it away.
1: It's got a. It's got a. What is it? A a core processor. Or I think it was six ninety nine. I think about I the six ninety nine yeah, version. Me too. Yeah. And I think you know. Um, I, I I I think that gamers are ones to adopt new tech, and I will also argue that I think just to go back to your point about like why games. I think. Games are the most creative and um, experimental in in a sense of from a design. I think they push UX UI farther than any other medium does. And because of that, how do you create a better UI for a medical app if you don't have games optimizing, UI
0: for for how Halo works or how I feel other... like most tech is solved through military through government kind of mm-hmm. and, and a lot of that been stuff, is... stuff for years yeah too. and it's and
1: it needs to be ported over I just you know but to go back to your original question I think. Um, It's been a big problem. Innovation moving too fast. I mean, the quest just the quest just came out, and the quest is amazing. Like what it can do is incredible, and I think it can the wireless. It's wireless, but it's a cell phone in the end of the day. Its GPU is a cell phone. It can only it can't give you that visual. It's gonna I should say it's gonna be a challenge to give it to give you that visual sense of presence um, because it can. It's only it's only as powerful as a cell phone. It's not a gaming pc
0: or a console um and when you ship gnomes and goblins the tech will have already passed you by by the time that thing comes out or are you on top of or are you adapting as you build we're on top of it yeah no, i mean but this, that's the word. <laughs> it's a challenge yeah it's I'm a challenge. Sure that's i mean look, so as an
1: example back at back at legendary um i remember meeting with um a vr company that i won't call out um and they were saying like hey we want to be more involved with you guys early on so that we can better help you build content for our platform while you're designing the movie so let's say it's godzilla early on in godzilla talking about how can we this godzilla my, would have to be in the movie for them to be able to oh to shot. Would, <laughs> no, the new one looks like he's in there Yeah, he is in there. the um but my question to them was like, well, our movie won't be ready for two years. Like, where's your product going to be in two years? And they don't know. Yeah. And in two years, their product cycle changed twice. And overall of this, what's happened over the last four years, three years, is that we've sit now built about 10 million headset units in the market um, of PlayStation, Vive, Oculus, uh, Microsoft, like that. That is a real ecosystem now. It's it's not 150 million like sure. Xboxes and Playstations, but it's enough that people can independently build content for it, and that's a huge win. But n- now, when I have something like the Quest come out, there's a challenge. Like, do I build something? I can't. It's I can't big, build something. Problem, yeah. I can't build something for a device that has an install base of zero, and Oculus can only fund so much content, so. It's a bit of a chicken and the egg issue. I think we're. I think the other big problem with the industry was that there were proje- per, um, projections that the industry was going to like turn into this cajillion dollar industry in two years, which was so bad and stupid, and it hurt us. And if you talk to any of the experts like Valve, who have that real data of like what the PC, what what the PC ecosystem is doing. They, no one was ever projecting that from, from, within, the in, from the, yeah. within the industry. And we're on track of where we thought we were going to be. It's just not as big as what some people hoped it would be. So I think we're getting there slowly. How do we deal with innovation? We kind of have to kind of go with the punches. And I think what we're going to see is, you know, hopefully uh, it's kind of steady out a bit.
0: And how do you solve motion sickness? That that to me is always always, well. well, Is that is that is that to me that's the biggest challenge from Mm -hmm. long period usage? That's what I always felt was like the the challenge. Is that the biggest challenge that you face with it, or what are what is the biggest challenge? I think
1: think design is the biggest challenge, and I think motion sickness is part of design. I think it's all part of design. It's all about design. Um, What is your experience like? How do you get somebody to like? How do I get somebody from this chair to that space? Like in in Gears of War, I run down a hallway and pop wall to wall. That's the design for how that that character moves through that environment. I have to solve that in a totally different way in VR. And so... um, there are all types of tech responses to you to say like, well, if we have a faster frame rate or we have more resolution, a higher about, aspect ratio, higher is aspect Jorge's ratio solution for that problem is that? Still I, I don't even know what that means. What is a higher aspect ratio? I mean, taller.
0: Jorge, you and Jorge argue about it. Uh, yeah, at every Is he gym. coming to e three? Yeah, he's coming this okay, year. You guys can have that conversation again. But I just feel like yeah, that that's from an outsider layman's perspective. That seems like one of the one of the challenges. It, and I, I really is. design is walking down the hall is like I don't like I'm in vr i can't walk around my house because i'm not going to have the 50 by 50 setup that you can build um so that's that seems like that but i think design is a good answer of figuring that out
1: i mean i think you know the, the motion sickness thing is is a problem and i think i think it's also perpetuated by bad content there was a yep. lot of people there are a lot of people in the mobile industry who are having trouble you know while mobile is optimizing more and more to these bigger games-as-a-service groups. And so there are smaller teams getting involved in building VR content, and they just do a shitty job. They put stuff out, and it's not good. Design isn't strong, and it makes people sick to their stomach because they're just trying to rush stuff out the door. It's always
0: the challenge, yeah, because, like this is this is going to be my first time to try vr right and then you try it and it sucks and you're just like all right and then vr it's dead. vr is not for me totally and you, and you move on and, and it's a challenge yeah
1: and that's why i think some of these lbe things where we can better control uh, lbe meaning location based entertainment um the void. like the void and yeah. dreamscape and what we did with chained and what we we're doing with war remains i think are um, better ways for us to introduce VR for the first time to people because it's totally curated. We know the content is good. We don't have to mess with any of the hardware or anything. You just kind of show up, you pay a ticket, you get to see something, you walk away, and you've had a really
0: good experience with yeah, it. I think that makes sense. Is anybody outside of gaming that you've seen in the space, you've been on 45 panels, What, yeah. what is anybody doing it right in the space or do you see any spaces that are really kind of accelerating? Um, in VR and AR,
1: um, You know, I think, um, you know, I I think AR is interesting in the in the enterprise space because part of our problem in entertainment is, you know, a video game costs twenty dollars. So I have to somehow fit all of the cost to produce this thing into twenty dollars and put it into your headset. And there's a lot of learning we have to do along the way. So it's it's a challenge to do that. But like, if I'm Audi and I have a um, a manufacturing plant, and a Hololens headset helps save one life. Um, from having, because someone doesn't walk in, in front of a, a machine and sure. AR helps them do that. It's a low cost to, well, whatever the cost is to produce that those applications to help them do that, yeah. it's worth it to those companies. And I think so. I think you mentioned military. I think there's a lot of these places Well, they'll innovate on.
0: A well, fund of the innovation is kind of my key for those spaces. I don't think those are the right consumer things or no. anything, but I think it's the, the there's a, re, like, innovation needs to be funded for a reason if it's not a business and i think those are the spaces that in the past have kind of tended to build those kind of things and they use them for what they use them for and then that comes back and is is flexible usable in gaming or consumer facing kind of experiences totally i
1: think I and mean, i think it, i mean i think it takes breakout content for that to happen right It just it takes some you need
0: avatar you need the avatar and vr without the Glasses, or you know, what I mean, Avatar launched the 3D thing, which is yeah. kind of crazy because it's still hard to see that as the number one grossing film of all times. But it's you know that that was that because they had tech that was crazy and people wanted to experience. What's the VR moment? You know, when
1: stuff? people refer to the Halo moment, do you hear people say that often?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are they talking about the game Halo, or are they talking about like the concept of like a halo around something? Because uh, I always think they're talking about the game. Because the Halo moment means the moment that made Xbox
0: yeah, a thing. Sure, that's good. It's also uh, I think <laughs> it's been marketed to myself and my kids. My kids are huge Mission Impossible fans now because I've brainwashed them. But it's the Halo jump, right? They tried to totally steal that for uh, oh right for the last film where he. I mean, which is an amazing. T- I mean, however they built that, I've watched a bunch of videos on how they tom does all his stunts himself and so how do we make a mask that actually shows his face skydiving so he's getting credit for actually doing the skydive and then as soon as you light it but then there's a problem if there's a fire within the mask you can't take it off like there's a whole bunch of tech behind that which was interesting so they took a lot of credit for that halo jump i think yeah but halo stands for high something low altitude it'll always be the title that launched xbox for sure for
1: me halo high altitude Low oxygen. I don't know, but anyways, yeah, people are always waiting for the for the for the you know, and that's I think that's been an interesting thing in um in in the VR landscape of consumer products. People waiting for the halo moment. Someone waiting for someone else to come in with the product that saves the day. And I don't know if that's the marketplace anymore. I actually really think that there's there are going to be those big titles. There's going to be the fortnights and there's going to be, you know, the, maybe it's the, maybe it's a death stranding or, a, or a God of war that are like driving units. Um, and I think those are definitely helping to do that. Yeah, I actually think it's going to be more about smaller, a lot of smaller titles. That's kind of uh, going into the future. I think I'm more excited. I, I'm kind of fatigued by all the huge games that are 20 hours long that I'm never going to have a chance to finish. And Maybe it's because I'm an old, I'm an old fart. Sure. Um, I get more interested in the more creative, smaller titles that the fire watches and the, um, hell blades that I think are, um, driving innovation, in interactive space and driving the way story operates in the interactive space. Um, and I hope that there's more of those type of titles that end up, uh, raise the tide for everything else. Uh,
0: what's next? Um, in, like, what's the big what's the big moment coming in the next two years for for VR? Is there a big moment? I think we're kind of
1: in the midst of it right now. I mean, like, I think um, the Quest and the Valve's Index and kind of we're we're kind of in the V two market right now. I think over the last couple of years, as things have not been great and we run into problems motion sickness there's always been talk like yeah but wait the, v- the first one always sucks but v2 is gonna that's gonna be yeah. awesome and i think we're in a lot of ways in the era of v2 it'll be interesting to see what playstation does um you know we're hearing about playstation 5 now and how, how are they where where are they going to position themselves with vr in the future um i think that we're in a really interesting time right now i think By the end of this year, we'll have a new perspective on the scale of the market.
0: Cool. I appreciate you coming on.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.